Turn to John chapter 1. We're continuing our study in the book of John. What a wonderful book. And you know, it starts off, in the beginning was the Word. And then that Word became flesh. I'm telling you what, whenever that happened, something changed. And John didn't start with the, with the birth of Jesus. You can find that in Luke 2. John had a different purpose. And you'll find out real quickly here, we're finding out just how important this book is to our understanding as foundational beliefs in Christ. The Christology, the study of Christ and just the, the truths here is so very important to our understanding. And you know, I, uh, have you ever spoken prophetically? Uh, there have been times when I have, and I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet, but I have unintentionally spoken about a couple that ended up getting married, though they were not dating at the time I talked to them. I, I, not that I put them together, you know, God, but you know, have you ever spoken prophetically? I remember thinking one time, I've said it several times, well, so-and-so and so-and-so would be a good couple. Next thing you know. And then some of you go and walk up and say, David, do you have somebody for me? I kind of like to do that. <laughs> like to get in on that. You know, we, we speak in thing, terms we don't understand. Uh, children do that. We do that as adults. And I believe what we have here is a statement and a passage that John the Baptist just eloquently and, and very simply states, but it's very, very important. I want you to understand that before this passage, we'll be looking and starting in verse 29, but this, about six weeks before this day, John had baptized Jesus, and we find that in Matthew chapter 3. Now, when he baptized him, you remember what happened, right? The Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ was there in the water getting baptized. The Holy Spirit descending like a dove, and God spoke from heaven. All three personage of the Godhead were present at his baptism. Now, let me say this. If Jesus were baptized, how much more does it behoove me to follow him in baptism? If you're here today and you claim Jesus is your Savior, you're not baptized, you're living in disobedience. Now, I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but I'm not going to hide from the fact that you need to immediately obey and follow the Lord in believer's baptism. We, we're going to talk, we talked about the baptism, how it's almost like a, it was an indication even then John was baptizing Gentile, I mean Jews, and he wasn't supposed to do that according to the Jewish group that we studied last week. But so Jesus goes off, he gets, he, he gets baptized, and then look in, in Matthew chapter 4, and I'm not going to go there, I just trust me on this. He's led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested and tempted. And you remember that temptation, how the Bible tells us that Jesus was tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. All that has taken place prior to this meeting in verse 29. And I want you to see this because it's very important. Verse 29, and we're going to read this verse and then we're going to have prayer. Verse 29 says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Woo! I don't think we understand this statement. Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. What a statement. 
Father, right now, I pray that with just some, just a few moments, I can somehow, through your power of the Holy Spirit, drill home this statement in a way that your, your Holy Spirit has given it to me this week. Father, I've been convicted by how we treat you as the Lamb of God. And God, may we make it very clear to this world. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. The first thing we see here is a pronouncement. I don't know how many weddings you've attended uh, in your lifetime. I've recently had the privilege, and I have to say that because there's couples here this morning. No, I'm kidding. Uh, uh, performing a wedding. Now, can I be real honest with you? Sometimes when I tell people I have a wedding to do, perform, uh, to, to lead and officiate, I sometimes get that mixed up with a wedding and a funeral. <laughs> and there have been times when I've said, I get to officiate a funeral and I'm in a wedding. But I will tell you that, that at the end of that, of that ceremony, every time I say something like this, this is my privilege to introduce for the first time Mr. and Mrs. and I name their names. And everybody claps because there's a pronouncement of the relationship that is established. Well, John is seeing Jesus coming towards him. And whatever he's doing, he stops. And he makes a pronouncement. He pronounces something by way of introduction for the first time to a group of people. I don't know when it dawned on John what he was getting ready to say. I'm not sure. I think we learn later here in this chapter that he knew for sure that when the Holy Spirit came down on Jesus in the form of a dove at his baptism, he knew for sure then who he was dealing with. But he said, there's somebody coming. I can't even unlatch his shoes. I'm a slave to him. I'm telling you, I don't know who he is. He was born for the purpose of heralding the coming of this man, God, Jesus. That was his whole purpose. He knew his purpose. As a matter of fact, he was a Nazarite. He had taken the Nazarite vow. His purpose was so sacred that he didn't cut his hair. He never touched a dead body, and he ate a strange diet, and he dressed funny. And he served somewhere other than the religious center of the Jewish world. John the Baptist had a definite purpose, but it wasn't until this moment that he pronounces who Jesus is. I'm telling you, this announcement, the pronouncement, first of all, he says, behold. Now, if I'm going to get your attention here today, first of all, I probably have a pretty loud voice. And I can project pretty loudly. But I don't think John the Baptist was a, can I say it, was a soft-spoken individual. I think when John the Baptist said, behold, everybody stopped. Everybody looked. Everybody listened. And let me say this. He wanted to make sure that everyone there in his voice range could understand what he's getting ready to say. He wanted to pronounce it loudly and clearly. And he gives a pronouncement that talks about the title of who was coming up. 
And I want you to notice this title. He says, The Lamb of God. Do you know this, time, this title is only used two times in the Old Testament? Two times in the Gospels, one time in Acts, one time in the Epistles, and 28 times in the book of Revelation. I believe what John is saying here is very prophetic. And he's, a, he's heralding, he's announcing this to Jesus. But I want you to see what happens in this case. Because what he calls him is the Lamb of God. Now, that's important because it involves God the Father. And I want you to understand, at the time that he's talking, the, the Passover feasts and celebrations are happening. As they're baptizing there just beyond Jordan, just a few miles outside of Jerusalem, people are passing by, bringing their lambs, bringing their goods, preparing for the Passover. And can you imagine the responsibility of taking a lamb that had to be a minimum of eight days old to come in and be the Passover lamb, to be the sin offering. I want you to see, first of all, the pronouncement, but then the paternal role in this name because he calls himself the Lamb of God. Do you understand that in this Passover, in this offering of a lamb in the Passover, it was always done by the Father? Now let that sink in for a moment. Because you understand that whenever you're the father, how many of you are fathers? Raise your hand. Did you know you have a role in the family that can be done by no other? Now, this is not a Father's Day sermon. It could be. Because here we have John the Baptist who's saying, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God of the Father, the Lamb of the Father that is there to take, to taketh away the sins of the world. So this paternal role was, first of all, the Lamb of God, because you understand Jesus and we are of the Father's household. Do you understand that? That Adam was an was earthly father, very in Genesis. He was the first man, Adam, but the father of it all is God himself. I'm telling you, it's wonderful to know that our Father is bringing the Lamb for sacrifice. I think it's important that we understand it's a Father's role, and it covers his household. When that Lamb was taken for slaughter, when that Lamb was taken for off, to be offered up, he would say they, they could, when you study out the process for offering a Lamb at sacrifice during Passover, the father brings the lamb to the priest. Now get this. And they, they, they don't know exactly what was said, but they believe something was said like, and they almost announced the lamb of Jacob for the sins of his family. Now you let, you let that sink in. This paternal role, there was a... It, it, it was the father's role to provide for the sin payment for the household. The father was the one that went out and chose that perfect lamb. The father was the one that made sure that, that lamb was perfect without spot, 
without blemish. He was absolutely perfect. And the Lamb of God, the Father God, chose that Lamb and He made sure He was perfect. He was from the beginning. He was made flesh. He dwelt among us, but He's the Lamb of God. The Father made sure the Lamb was provided. And we see the Father's household. Or you see the children belong to the Father. In this society, it was the children of the Father. All wealth was passed down through the Father. Whenever a child was named, I'm the child of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. The children were named by the Father. In our society, it can be all mixed up. And I want you to understand that. We don't think in terms of this Passover feast, this Jewish understanding that, was, that John was addressing at the moment that he announced, made this announcement. There was a patriarchal society, the Lamb of God. And may I say that that father also was the priest in the home. The priesthood and fatherhood was inseparable. That father would take the lamb and he would offer it in place of, of, uh, of this, for the sin of his family. He was a priest. But let me think about then he calls himself the lamb of God. Let's talk about this provided lamb. They raised it carefully. They took care of it. You, Jesus, was born of flesh and lived on earth and God the Father was through that providing a way for you and I to have our sins forgiven. And I want you to see this because this lamb was raised and brought and it was at least eight days old. And then he presented the lamb and when he presented the lamb, he didn't just take it and give it to the priest. You got to understand, during this Passover concept, what he would do was he would literally lay his hands, but it wasn't like, okay, this is the lamb, take it and slaughter it. It was almost like he would lay his whole being on that lamb, knowing how serious that moment was. And there are some who have studied the history of what went on. He didn't do that till the blood was shed. After the, I hate to be, I don't mean to be inappropriate in this mixed congregation, but they had to take the blood of that lamb and it had a, had a part and a role in the, in the forgiveness of their sin. And so that father being the priest of that home would bring this lamb that they, he had selected himself and, and it was at least eight days old and he would bring it in and he would lay himself representing his whole family on this lamb and asking that their sins be remitted. Every year that happened. Every year. And he was paid for by the shed blood. I want to read a verse for you. Revelation 13, 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. There's coming a day when everybody will worship Jesus. What I'm preaching to you right now, every person will know. Whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, notice, slain from the foundation of the world. I want to point out something. For you and I, 
the cross was when Jesus was slain for you and I. It's a historical event that we can point to. You can go to Jerusalem. You can go to Israel. Take an Israel tour, and they will show you the Roman road where they believe that cross was, was mounted and affixed for a shame. And you'll see that. For us, that's when it happened, when, what we believe. But I want you to know for Jesus and for God the Father, it happened before the foundation of the world. Now, you've got to understand, there was a time when God the Father, God the Son, in history, before, long before the earth ever occurred, long before creation, where God the Father, God the Son, looked at one another and said, there's going to be a penalty that has to be paid for the sin of the people we're getting ready to correct, we're getting ready to create. And God, even before the foundation of the world, did that. I want you to understand, too, the, the, there's a pivotal, pivotal example you remember Abraham and Isaac going to Mount Moriah? And you remember that, they, uh, that Abraham was ordered or, or told by God to offer Isaac as sacrifice. And you remember they were walking up the, up the, uh, the, the servants were left behind and Abraham and Isaac were walking towards that mount. And Isaac asked in verse 7 of Genesis 22, and Isaac spoke unto Abraham the father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, son. And he said, Behold the fire, the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they both went. They went, both of them, together. I want to draw a picture for you today of God the Father and God the Son's relationship that purchased the remission of your sin and my sin. You see, that Jewish father, when he brought the lamb, he was only bringing the lamb for his family, his Jewish family. That's all he was responsible for. But I want you to know that God the Father looked at Jesus the Son before the foundations of the world and said, Jesus, I have an obligation. I have a desire. I have a plan that I will lay on you all the sin of the world. And you will be the, son, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God, when John said he's a Lamb of God, that's the picture that he gave, that pivotal uh, uh, example of that paternal role. He's saying God the Father prepared it. But then I want you to see the provision in verse 29. He said that taketh away the sin of the world. I want you to see taketh away means takes upon. The better version is that this, this Lamb this Lamb of God has taken upon himself. The reason is because within himself there is no sin. There's no imperfection in Jesus. The only way sin could be paid for by him was that he take on him our sin and your sin. Take it away and notice the word sin versus sins. You want, the, you want sin sends you to hell? You know what sin causes me from not going to heaven? Now, I'm not saying other sins don't impact your life, but you know what the sin that sends me to hell is? It's the rejection of Jesus Christ. There's not a sin on the books that can't be forgiven 
and cleaned up by the Holy Spirit and by salvation in Jesus. You can name them all. And the Bible does many times. But when I reject Jesus Christ, I am doomed for hell. And this morning, I wonder, to, this morning right now, are you rejecting that son of, that lamb of God? Have you rejected him, that sin versus, and then he says, the world, not Israel. The lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He takes upon himself the sin of the world. Now, let me ask you something. Do you believe that Jesus' atonement is for the whole world. That's why I don't believe, this is just one reason, I don't believe in limited atonement. I believe in unlimited atonement. I believe Jesus died as the Lamb of God to take upon himself the sin of the whole world. That means someone who hasn't heard the name of Jesus yet, it's already available to him. As you and I go out and witness the people, there are those that don't know him as Savior that can come to him as Savior right now. Their sin is already paid for. They don't have to do anything else. And I'm telling you, I believe in the, un, the unlimited atonement of Jesus Christ. I want you to see the announcement. Number two, I want you to see the awareness. Look in verses 30 and 30 to 32. This is he of whom I said, after me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit ascending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. Now I want you to see, first of all, in this awareness, he said he's got to be preeminent. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world has to be preeminent. It's got to be Him above everything. In your life and mine, it has to be Him above everything. God will not share Himself with anybody else or any other God in your life. It doesn't matter what you think is important. It doesn't matter what I think is important. It doesn't matter how I prioritize my time. It doesn't matter. God, Jesus Christ, has to be number one and above everything else. He's preeminent. John is saying, listen, he is the one that I've said before that I'm not worthy. He was before me, and I'm not worthy to even loose his shoes. He's saying he came before me. He was before me. One before all. So it's preeminence. But then in verse 33, he sees the proof. The proof that Jesus is who he said he is, is the Holy Spirit's presence. Now, I want to speak to that just for a moment. Suppose that today a person asked Christ to come into his heart. Would the Holy Spirit be present in his life? Do you believe in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? Do you believe when you got saved, the Holy Spirit moved in and took up residence? Do you believe that when you got saved, he, he came in and he baptized you with the Holy Spirit, that he sealed you by the Holy Spirit, and that you have the Holy Spirit living inside you if you're saved today? Do you believe that? Let me tell you something. That's proof. You want to know the proof? You want to know the proof of being saved? Is there the Holy Spirit in your life? Is the Holy Spirit reigning? Now, let me say this. When he moves in, when he takes over, when he begins to dwell you, there's going to be a change. 
But there's going to be something. You're going to want to talk about it. You want to declare it. You're going to tell others about it. John couldn't help it. He saw the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came down on Jesus, and he wanted to tell people about it. Let me tell you, when you're saved and the Holy Spirit's inside you, there's an excitement. There's a, there's a confidence that come. John didn't know up to this point. He did not know who he was supposed to herald. He did not know that his cousin was going to be the one that would be the Messiah. He didn't know that, but now he knows. And he's saying, behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. He said, he, that's a reason. He's preeminent, and there's proof of who he is. And that's why I have this awareness of who he is. But then I want you to see his aha moment. You ever had an aha moment? One of those moments where you say, that almost took your breath away. Maybe, maybe it was when you had your first baby born to your family. Let's face it, guys. That's a pretty life-changing event, is it not? And I'm telling you, when you're holding that precious package for the first time, your heart just melts around that baby. As a man, and as clumsy as we are, we love to hold those babies and just, there's an aha moment of, hey, this is my child. This is certainly something that God did in my life. I believe there's also times whenever you meet your spouse and you do something crazy and sudden, an aha moment to say, will you marry me? You know you can't take those words back. <laughs> Not that Maybe that's not what I'm saying. I know I'm misunderstood a lot. <laughs> but once they come out of your mouth, men, of course, you've already planned this, right? You've already planned it. You've got a romantic setting. You've got it all set up. And you plan to say it. But you know that last second right before you, but that aha moment, which is, yes! Or she says, okay. <laughs> Do I have to? No. <laughs> uh, that aha moment when there is a life-changing event. Let me tell you, John the Baptist had an aha moment. He didn't know for sure who Jesus was. He didn't know what he was doing. He didn't know what he was supposed to do. He knew he was called to do something. He was prophesied about in Isaiah 40. But when that moment, when he baptized Jesus and the Holy Spirit came down, that was an aha moment. Let me tell you something. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you can have an aha moment this morning right here. The Holy Spirit will come down fill your, and glory will fill your soul. If you'll just let him, you'll have that aha moment. I, I, John 16, 7 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Is it expedient for you that I go away? For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. That's Jesus talking because he had an aha moment. And Jesus saying, I want that whole, same Holy Spirit that came to me. I want him to come to you. And then he says in verse 33, he, he changes his title. It's so cool how, how John the Baptist went from the Lamb of God. And look at verse 33. He says, and I, know he, I, and I knew him not. There for a while, he said, I didn't know him. But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. Notice verse 34, and I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. You know what makes us family members in this church? Is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit coming inside of you 
the Holy Spirit indwelling me. And you know, you might be some kind of rascal like Troy. Um, you might, no, Troy said, what? No, you might be some kind of person that, you know, I don't even know. But you know, our spirit bears witness with one another. And when that Holy Spirit comes into each one, we have the same, we speak the same language. And you can have that kind of aha moment where now he is the Lamb of God and you've got us face the Lamb of God before he comes, the Son of God to you. You've got to deal with this Lamb. You've got to accept him. You've got to believe on him. You've got to accept the, the price that he paid for your sins and my sins. You've got to accept that before he can come, the Son of God. Uh, the Son of God. You understand that Son of God talks about how precious he is to God the Father. You would think that God would not love his son that he would cause to bear the sins of the world, but he does love the son. And he says, I, and John the Baptist says, I bear witness, I testify that he is the son of God, not just the lamb of God. I want to bring this message down to an application if I can. For you see what has happened in history. And here is one of the first, this is the first time in this gospel that Jesus called the Lamb of God. And in your life and in mine, that Lamb of God, God the Father, has offered his Son to pay for the sins of the whole world, which includes you and includes me. I'm so glad that when God did that before the foundation of the world, I was on his mind. We just, we just sung about that. We, we, uh, we were on his mind. And he takes away our sin. He washes us. He cleanses us. For those who believe, John 3, 16. My question is, do you believe? Do you really believe in the Lamb of God that takes away the sin? Because he doesn't do it without your belief, without your profession of faith in him. Would you all bow your heads and close your eyes? I want you to picture something with me this morning. I want you to picture what was going on around Jesus and John the Baptist at the moment that they were meeting. Jesus was coming, and as he, were, as he was coming to meet John the Baptist there by Jordan, all around them were pre Passover preparations. I want you to imagine with me, please, the father of families bringing their families, their children, to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover and commemorate Passover. I want you to imagine that all of these families have lambs with them. These lambs that are to be the ones that their sin is placed on and they're, they're, they're sacrificed on their behalf. I want you to picture how that's happened hundreds of years this has been going on. But then I want you to fast forward your mind about three and a half years later when Jesus himself is in Jerusalem. And yet these Passover preparations that surrounded this moment with he and John the Baptist are the same. People are coming with lambs. And a father and sons are coming into town and maybe they've been, the fathers keep telling the sons who would do this one day for their family, son, watch the lamb, keep an eye on that lamb. Don't lose the lamb. There are all kinds of people here needing lambs. If it gets away from us, it may be stolen. Whatever you do, watch the lamb. Whatever you do, don't let that lamb get out of our sight. And as they approach Jerusalem, they find Jesus has already been tried. They didn't know what was going on. They had lived in the outskirts of Jerusalem. They were away. They didn't know all that was going on. And all of a sudden, 
they see Jesus making his way to Golgotha. And the, the dad's confused. And he looks and he sees Jesus, that cinder cross, being raised. And all he could think about was a Messiah that would one day come and be the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. I wonder, would he still say, watch the Lamb? I believe the Lamb that we need to watch today is that center cross that was raised so that you and I can have forgiveness of sin. There's some of us in this congregation that should, because of your rejection of Jesus Christ as Savior, you should be moving already. You should be coming forward. The altar's open. There'll be some here today that don't know Jesus. Maybe I would like to encourage you to be moving now. I want God to have his way in this service. And the Lamb of God, God placed our sin on him. He took our place. Are you willing to accept him as Savior? Are you willing to accept that payment on, of your sin? Are you willing to have that aha moment? where he becomes your Savior and you become aware of what he has done for you.